Hi, this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, and you're listening to Jot Talk. This is a podcast where I talk about the Cowboys, the team I've covered as a beat writer, columnist, TV insider, and radio host for 28 years. I'll also talk about the NFL and the things I love, working out, streaming, food, and all things Dallas. My boy, Big Joe in the Big Rig, one of my oldest friends, produces the show and occasionally chimes in with his thoughts on the Cowboys. After all, he's a lifelong Cowboys fan, and he played high school, college, and semi-pro football. Welcome to Jock Talk, where sports is fluid. What's true today might not be true an hour, a day, or a month from now. I'm going to give you the truth straight, no chaser. Glad to have you aboard. Let's get it. Welcome to episode 64 of Jock Talk. I hope you guys are prepared to be entertained and dazzled for the next hour or so as me and Big Joe and the Big Rig talk to uh, Clarence e. Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, go through some of Michael uh, Parsons' comments about uh, his first public comments since the Cowboys' embarrassing loss to Green Bay in the playoffs, and talk a little bit about my love for teaching. Uh, but first, though, uh, we got some housekeeping as usual. Uh, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at JJT, <laughs> journalist. Uh, but if you think you follow me on Twitter, you probably don't because my account got deleted. So make sure you follow me on Twitter. Um, you can always watch the show at uh, Jacques Top on YouTube. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Got some information to give you about that in a minute. You can hear us on, on uh, IG at The Real Jacques Top. Hey, what's up, dog? How you rolling this morning? It's all good. It's all good. Ready, ready to rock and roll. Some... Ready to rock and roll. Uh, all right. Who number 64? Now, your boy. Who's number 64? Uh, Hexar Reynolds. Ah, great minds think alike. That's exactly the 64 <laughs> that I have. Uh, all right, that's cool. There you go. It's the only 64 that came to mind. Yeah. Really? Sure. Uh, now, check this out. I'm trying to make Valentine's easy for y'all, okay? Some of y'all got a problem with gifts, what to give, what to get, how much. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm giving away two tickets to the Mavs game, Valentine's night against the Spurs. It really don't get no better than that, okay? You ain't got to think about what to do, what to go, where to go, all right? All you got to do to register to win these tickets, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jacques Talk. Like the most recent video, comment on the most radio video. That's all you got to do to register. Everybody who does that, names go in the hat, pull the name out, boom, we have a winner. Valentine's Day is then yours for the taking. The seats are great. My son sat in those seats for the Lakers game. I sat on those seats for my birthday. Luca didn't play that night, but it was all good anyway. I think they played Portland and blew them out. So the seats are fantastic. Uh, Section 115. Go check it out. You can thank me later. But make sure you subscribe, make a comment, like the videos, and uh, that'll register you for the tickets, opportunity to win the tickets. We'll make the drawing on Valentine's Day. And uh, we'll put it out early so that you got plenty of time to make your plans and uh, get your date ready and go do what you do. Uh, now, if you're ever involved in an accident and it's not your fault, and that happens daily in DFW, you've seen the traffic around here, uh, what you need to do, what you got to do, pick up the phone, call 972-934-8900. It's Greeny Law. When they pick up your phone... Literally, all you got to do is say, hey, here's the details of my situation. What do you think? And I've said this, and I mean it. If they bring you on as a client, it's been a great day for you. It's been a lucky day for you. Uh, it's been a momentous day for you because what they're going to do is they're going to handle every single solitary element of your case. 
They're going to walk you through it. And that's important because what? When you're going up against somebody else's insurance company, man, that thing can be long. It can be drawn out. It can be tedious. If you've never been involved in something like that before, it can be frustrating. It can be intimidating. It can be a lot of things. Scary. You need somebody to ride with you. Green and Law will ride with you. They'll tell you when to go forward, when to hold back, when to take a left, when to take a right, when to speed it up, when to slow it down. They know what they're doing. All you got to do Follow the directions. Now, check this out. They don't get paid unless you get paid. You hear that? They don't get paid unless you get paid. So you don't have to worry about where you fit on the priority list and how important a client you are. You're at the very top. And now, this is what I like, too. As part of them helping you out along the way is um, if you need a doctor, find you a doctor. You need a specialist. They can find you a specialist. They don't really want you working or worried about anything except what? Healing and renewal. Really, that's what they want you worried about. They want you to get your mind right and your body right, get your life back. That's really what they're focused on. So if you're involved in an accident, and I've had a couple of listeners do it already this last year, not this year, last year. Give them a call, 972-934-8900. Let Green and Law work for you. Now, Clancy Hill Jr., I called him yesterday, and he could barely talk. So much noise going on in the background. He's at the Senior Bowl finding out what's going on uh, with the Cowboys. He uh, talked to Jerry Jones so we can hear what he says because Jerry Jones says he's all in this year. My response to that is, whatever, dog. We'll see what that really means. Uh, but let's, uh, let's talk to Clarence Hill, Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, presented to you each and every Friday by my man at Smokey John's Barbecue, Wine and Brent. Uh, let's see what Chill's got to say. Hey, what's up, Doc? What's happening? How y'all doing? Hello. Great. This is Clarence D. Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. The E stands for what, Joe? I don't know. I'm at a loss today. I gotta, <laughs> I, gotta I gotta wait. It stands for I gotta wait to see how fired up he, he is to, today. Uh I was gonna say stand for every time he go to Mobile, he come back with a couple stories, some of which he can't share publicly. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I saw you hanging out with the bros. I was going to say, I saw you hanging out with the bros in Mobile at the Senior Bowl last night. What type of uh, shenanigans can you tell us that went on publicly? Not the private. No, that was just just good cigar smoking, good liquor, and and good stories. It was just just a good time. You know, Mobile is a sneaky city, man. You know, they're getting ready for the Mardi Gras down here. You know, people in Mobile will tell you, that there's originated in Mardi Gras. Certainly New Orleans is more famous, but the first Mardi Gras was in Mobile. And and, and they're they're getting ready to have a good time this week in Mobile with the senior bowl and the Mardi Gras parades and everything else. But it's a sneaky good city for people that don't know. Don't sleep on Mobile. Now I've been there many times, uh and you're right. Yeah, me too. Uh, let's talk about the Cowboys. Uh what you doing in Mobile, Doc? I mean I know we there for the senior bowl. What you doing in Mobile? Shoot, I've been to, I went to Mobile twice a week for a year. That's why they call me Big Joe and the Big Rig. <laughs> <laughs> yes, any sir. more questions? Any more questions? No, sir. <laughs> ran no, new, sir. Ran we new Orleans. On. We move it on. Ran New Orleans for six years. It's a wonderful city. Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah. Um, what did uh, you <laughs> talked to Jerry the other day? What's the what's the most? Yeah, we moving on quickly. What's the most interesting thing you heard from your conversation with Jerry the other day? I mean, I- 
I mean, Jerry was all over the place, you know, and and I and, and you know, beyond the deck and Mike McCarthy stuff. The fact that he he gave life to Bill Belichick, you know, again to me is just Jerry wanted to uh, continue the drama and and keep the Cowboys in the news. I just don't believe that there's anybody's gonna give Bill Belichick control of the of their organization. But Jerry. Basically, instead of just, you know, shutting down any Belichick talk, he says, I can work with Bill Belichick. You know, I, I can do that. I can see us working together. Why would you say that when you got a sitting head coach? Well, you know, Mike McCarthy yeah, already last that, uh... Yeah, he already has pressure on him to win. Why would you even give life to that when you have a sitting head coach? And one reason why you kept McCarthy, which frustrates Cowboys fans, is because he, he, he allows you to be comfortable. You're comfortable with Mike McCarthy. Uh, Bringing in Bill Belichick, you won't be comfortable. And one reason why Bill Belichick didn't get the job in Atlanta is because he wants control of everything. I don't think anybody's going to give Bill Belichick, you know, much as you respect him as a head coach, no one respects him right now as a personnel guy and a draft guy. And no one's giving him control of everything. And, and certainly the Cowboys are not taking the personnel department away from Will Clay and giving it to Bill Belichick. You know, and so, no. but, but Jerry does not like to shut down things because he likes to give give things life uh, so people can continue talking about the Cowboys. I'm just like, I go back to 2016 when Dak Prescott is 13-3 and and leading the Cowboys into the playoffs with the number one seed. And Jason Garrett and everybody else has already said Dak's our quarterback when I go back to Tony Romo. And Jerry Jones is in the media late in the season going to the playoffs. I dream of Tony Romo leading us to the Super Bowl. You know, why you give, you know, that's not even on the table. It's not even the cards. But Jerry's giving that stuff life because he likes people talking about the Cowboys. And see, that's the only reason why we're, you know, he, he continues to give the, the Bill Belichick narrative life. And again, it's unfair to, to Mike McCarthy because Jerry, at least his words, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, deserved to come back for one final year. And, and so we'll see. But, you know, he does have the pressure of, uh, Make it or break it because there's no contract after this year. It runs out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I saw those questions uh, about Bill Belichick, and I was just shaking my head like, "What are you talking about, man?" But uh, I guess I should be used to it. Matter of fact, I heard him. I didn't even really give him any credence. But then again, I'm uh, I'm a, I'm I'm removed enough to understand what he's doing, uh, as opposed to maybe the fan base, which may have got. But I don't even think it took that much traction with the fan base. I think even they understand. Sometimes he'd just be bumping his guns. Uh, there's no doubt. And, and again, when we talked to Jerry, he was all over the place. You know, and again, he throws support for Mike. He throws support for Dak. And, I mean, one of the most interesting things says he says, well, you know, um, last year at this time, Jerry and Steven went out of their way to be bullish on Dak. We love Dak. We want to be a quarterback the next 10 years. Um we want to get the contract done, extension done, because we have to lower that capture. Very bullish on that. This year, we asked them about Dak if they don't want to talk contract, which is kind of odd to me after Dak's MVP season. And certainly, you know what the contract situation is. And once I, you know, kind of pointed out to them, y'all were bullish on Dak last year. Now, y'all don't want to talk contract. We don't want to talk that type of stuff. I'm like, well, we, we we still believe in Dak. We still believe in Dak, you know, but we just don't want to talk contract. Well, what does that mean? Why would you not want to talk contract? You know, you're, you're $19 million over the cap. Dak Prescott has a $59 million cap hit. You know, you have to address this contract or it's going to 
limit your ability to add players to this team to go all in. How can you go all in and not commit to your quarterback? None of that makes any sense. And the thing that, you know, this little ditty that Jerry said that uh, I said we'll go as far as Dak takes us, and that's how far we went. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, is that a compliment? (laughs) You know, know, well, that's how far we went. Well, duh. So, you know, does that mean you're all in or you're not, you know, on on your quarterback? Because you didn't go far, you know, and so – you can't say that I support my quarterback, but yet, you know, you're not ready to commit. But I think that uh, all things are on table. I mean, I, I think that, you know, they don't know what they want to do, you know, and they, they don't want to put themselves into a corner uh, by, by saying anything. But I think that certainly signing them into an extension is on the table, but also I think that it, it, there's consideration to let them play out this final year. But the thing about it is, is that Dak has all the leverage. You know, he has a no-trade clause. He, right. he has a no-franchise tag clause. You know, and you can say, and I know fan bases and everybody else is getting rid of everybody. They just want blood. But if you let Dak get the free agent market, he's going to get his money. And there are a lot of teams with worse quarterback situations than the Cowboys who would love to have Dak Prescott. Pittsburgh Steelers or somebody like that is, 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 is for example, they would love to have Dak Prescott and. And I don't know, and, and you know, uh, if the Cowboys want to get on that quarterback abyss uh, that they were on from Troy, uh, from Troy Aikman to Tony Romo. And, you know, again, you can say, let's give Trey Lance a shot or let's draft one. None of those are guarantees. And none of those are guarantees are going to be better than what you have with Dak Prescott. This is true. This is true. Um, what uh, what feeling – how did you interpret it when Jerry says – is that if I if I interpret it properly, we're going all in this year. What does that mean? I, I don't know what it means because you know because I asked the question again. I was like Jerry, you know, the, the thing about it is is that Cowboys say they have done everything they could to win, but we all know the Cowboys in the past have been trying to serve two masters. They've been trying to win while also balancing the budget and build for the future. You know they right. were you know they were only bar- shop at the bargain baseball record free. Because they didn't want to get out of the whack and cap, and, and they're always we're going to build through the draft. You know, we're not going to do all this. So, you know, you can't. You know, the Rams went all in. The Cowboys have never gone all in. You know, they've certainly tried to improve their team, but also did it while also trying to keep everything solvent and, and build for the future. One thing that always frustrated me about Stephen Jones is they keep talking about the cap. I said no one cares about the cap. You know, you know, no one cares that you guys are not in cap hell. You know, no one cares that you're balancing the budget as well as anybody. You make more money than God allows. You're the richest franchise in sports history, and all y'all talk about is being cap solvent. People want to win. You know, and so Jerry said we're going all in, uh, and you won't. It won't be about the future. It'll be about now. If you look at the whole quote, and so that's that should answer some of your questions. Uh, right. So we'll see. But again. You know, going all in, they they first have to again address Dak and, and get cap solvent and get under the cap, and then we'll see what that means and how they address players. Yeah, I was gonna say that it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I mean, I get what all in means, but how it manifests itself would be interesting to me. I heard somebody throw the name out last night, and, I'm, and uh, it's intriguing, but I'm always leery. What do you think about Derrick Henry in Dallas? 
Well, I mean, I, I, I like that. I was, you know, I think the Cowboys should have tried to trade for him midseason last year. I mean, you know, one thing that Jared talked about is the Cowboys have to stop the run and they have to run the ball better. They recognize that. It's one thing you look at the playoffs and the teams that have succeeded uh, have run the ball well outside of Kansas City when they got Patrick Mahomes. That's on the story. But, it, but it's been about, you know, the trenches and being able to run the ball and stop the run. And the Cowboys ultimately couldn't run it like they hoped to run it this year. They relied too much on Dak and his arm, and, and certainly they couldn't stop the run. And, and I think that uh, aging Derrick Henry, he's not the player he was, but he's still a, a, a good back, a strong back. Uh, if you pair him up with a young guy, kind of like what they did in Tennessee, I think it works. You're not paying him $10 million. You know, what is Derrick Henry going to want? But right. but you certainly you certainly need uh, to improve that running game, but I think that's that's, that's an option they should consider for sure. Man, I just looked up a Derrick Henry stat that just blew my mind. Uh, just so y'all know, uh, he had uh, 1,167 yards last year, 12 touchdowns. Uh, had a long of 69, average 4.2 per carry. Now, interestingly enough, now he did play for Tennessee and they had some quarterback issues. But the last four years, he's gone from 126 yards a game to 117 yards a game to 96 yards a game to 68 yards a game last year. This is interesting. This is the stat that blew my mind. He led the league in carries. How many carries did he have? That's the question for y'all to answer. Led the league in carries. How many carries did Derrick Henry at 29 have last year? 300. You talking about <laughs> – well, you know, he, he shared time for the first time. Hey, man, he just, just answer the question. You always try to give me all this other stuff. See, Joe answered the question. 250. All right, that's – that's a quality guess. I was shocked, man. He had 280 carries, and that led the league. I mean, I can't right. believe that 280 carries led the league. That's insane to me. And he, and he split time for the first time. You know, he, he was usually getting 80% of the snaps, and I think he was down to 60% of the snaps when you look at, you know, uh, the running back for Tulane that they, they, they had sharing time with them, which, what they're moving on with. But, but uh, so, again, I, I think he, he still was productive, you know, and, and he, after the 4.2 yards of carry on a team that didn't have a quarterback and split in time. Uh, I, I think with a, in the Cowboys situation where you do have a passing game, you know, he, he can be effective here. You know, and again, the, you know, the thing about it is that Derrick Henry lives in Dallas in offseason. He works out in Dallas in offseason. He, he's in Dallas right now. You know, he, you know, it, it's something that you have to consider. Uh, no, he trains at uh, Sanders Fit with a couple friends of mine, uh, which is in downtown Dallas. Because uh, I saw him a few years ago. I was like, yo, what's he doing out here? And they were like, oh, no, man, he's been working out with us for a minute. So uh, so he's very familiar and comfortable in Dallas. Spends a lot of time in the offseason here. But uh, I think, uh, I don't know what they would have budgeted for the, uh, for the backfield. But, yeah, I, if you could get Henry and uh, Pollard for a reasonable price, I think, you, I think that would be that would be. Terrific. As long uh, as, as long as he don't show up like Eddie George, we all good. It's all good. Well, yeah, I did he, he say you are talking. You are talking about a twenty nine year old running back, yeah, man. Yeah, Eddie George had nothing left. He yeah, looked look good George though. Had... He looked good though. <laughs> he was still built like a Greek god. No, but but it, it, well, you know, he had a sixty nine yard run last year. He, he still he still has juice in his legs. I mean, you watch him. You watch him play. Uh, you know, you know, he, he's certainly not Eddie George of that year for sure. 
No. Uh, what you think of Michael Parsons' comments that we're going to discuss later? <laughs> you know, he finally broke his silence. I think what's interesting is that Mike McCarthy kind of, it, it, not Mike McCarthy, Michael Parsons, if you look at all his comments, look at all his comments, he kind of echoed what his brother said in criticizing Dan Quinn that scheme. <laughs> he, yeah. You know, he, he talked about we were, you know, we were out of scheme. Uh, you know, we didn't have an answer for anything. Uh, we were outperformed, we were out skiing, had an answer for everything. You know, and he said, people say, why don't you go to linebacker? You know, the package is for me to go to linebacker. You know, but I'm not calling personnel. I'm not putting out personnel. I told multiple players that I'm very fond of playing linebacker in the playoffs. That's what I want me to do. I just want to win. So, for all, you know, so he said, I, I can't put me in position unless the coach does it. That, that, that's the open criticism of Dan Quinn. He said, I ain't going to say nothing, but it ain't me. <laughs> that's what he said. All of that. He said, <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah. y'all, y'all, he said uh, you, you look at the table and say, I didn't play my heart out. He certainly defended himself, defended Dak, defended uh, Mike McCarthy, uh, you know. But, yeah, I, the thing that, that, that stood out to me was the fact that, you know, he, he, he took a shot at the scheme and, and Dan Quinn. And that brings us to Dan Quinn. Uh, he's still without a head coaching job. I don't know that he's getting a Washington job because they interviewed him by Zoom. They flew him up there, and they ain't gave it to him yet. I don't know what they're waiting for if, if he's the guy. Uh, do you think he's uh, coming back, or do you think he's uh, going to Washington? Man, let's just talk about Washington for a minute. You get rid of uh, Dan Snyder and all this drama. You're bringing these NBA guys, the Magic Johnson, the hockey guys, whatever they are, to, 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 to supposedly change the franchise, you know, and everybody knew that you were going to fire Ron Rivera when you when you took the job the team last when you summer. bought the team, right? Yeah. Why you didn't fire him mid season? I don't know. You wait till the end of the season to fire him, and now everybody has a you hire a GM who don't have a coach in his back pocket. How do you not have a coach? How do, how does everybody that you know the the coaching hot seat? You know, everybody got a coach but you, and you have these options you've got, you know, that, that no one's really excited about. You know, like and, the, you know, I mean, I, you know, so I like Aaron Glenn. I mean, I, I like Dan Quinn, you know. You got Antonio Pierce, but of all the coaching names, everything's, you know, these guys that you were trying to get, certainly couldn't get the offensive guys everybody thought you were going to get. Uh, how are you left at the altar right here with, with, with no front runners? Not only – you, you you have a finalist, but they're really not a, a front runner for this job. So Eric Bieniemy is not even close, huh? No, he didn't get a second interview. At least, okay. you know, I don't know if they start over or or you know, like and and then you everybody's interviewed. Why have you not hired a coach? Yeah, yeah. You know, when Seattle interviewed with Seattle interviewed Mac McDonald for the second time, they didn't let him get out the building. When you know, right. Michigan interviewed, I mean, when, when the Chargers interviewed, brought in uh, Jim Harbaugh, they didn't let him about the building. How do you let all these coaches leave and not hire one if if if, if, if there's one you like? Well, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's very interesting. I like the way Adam Schefter spun it, uh, saying, "Well, now Washington has their choice of everybody who's available, and they could be even more diligent." It don't reek of diligence <laughs> to me. It reeks of incompetence to me. Uh, and maybe well, it's because they hired basketball people instead of football people. Yeah. 
who, who's available? I mean, to say that so they're going to reopen the process and and interview Vrabel and, and Belichick, who they didn't, you know, do before. I mean, it's, again, <laughs> the process is awful, and, and and for a fan base who thought that you know they were finally getting competent people to run this thing after you know you're dealing with that side, this is not an example of competence. No, it's the uh, it's the height of incompetence, uh, really. Um, so no, I don't know what they're going to do now. What's your take on why the enemy? I mean, I got my own thought on it. What's your take on why the enemy hasn't? Uh, it seems like all the luster is off of him. No, it's not the luster is off of him. You know, you look at the situation, and you know, you're you're a hot candidate. You're on these cycles, and all of a sudden, you know, it's dried up, and there are other hot candidates. You know, and 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 and, and you know, I never thought the Washington job was good for him because it was a lame duck situation. I mean, everybody knew that they were going to have to fire Rivera, and, and I don't know how you. When when everything is stinking, you gonna get some of that stink on you. You know you can't revive. Yeah, you yep. can't. You you know you can't. If they're gonna fire the coach, and we all knew they they, they were questions about quarterback, there's, there's no way you could come out just looking good, especially from an offensive standpoint, and, and and be back. You know into that whole coaching situation. There was questions about him coming out of Kansas City, which I understand he felt he had to go and call plays on his own, even though. His two pre- previous predecessors in Kansas City were able to get head coaching jobs, yep. even though Andrew Reed was, you know, was, was calling the plays, and you know, but it was something that, that he had to do differently, and and it didn't work out, and 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 now you know people are looking at these other new hot coordinators and whoever else, and and, and no one's talking about Benham. Things didn't go well, you know. He's a hard coach. He's an old school coach. He will cuss you out, and 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 the players didn't like it, and 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 so. That was part of the problem in Washington is that these soft players and their soft head coach, you know, they couldn't handle uh, Eric Benjamin holding them accountable. Uh, one and, last I, you thing know, for- and again, and, and, and again, in today's day and age, you know, Dan Quinn's a player. I don't know. You know, people talk about these players. You, you know, Dion talk about these players. You know, I don't know that you can coach players today like you coached years ago. And no, I don't know you can't. If that, you can't. That, that I don't know if that style works and people yeah, like that style. No, it's a, it's a whole new generation, and, I mean, you can complain about it and moan about it, but the reality is it's a whole new generation of kids, and so you have to figure out how to kind of meet them where they are. And uh, you can still discipline them, but you got to do it a different way. And you got to explain it to them. My point is Eric is old school Q. He's a dog cutter. Yeah. yeah. You can say, you know, you know, like, you know, Parcells used to, you you be miserable when Pastel walk in walk into the weight room because he ain't got nothing good to say to you, right? You know, nah, I don't you, know if you can create coach creative violence of fear anymore. No, nah, players uh, don't respond that way. No, nah, you're right. I think it's a it's a it's a whole different world, and you well, just have that, to figure it that, out. That uh, participation trophy generation, That's all what, of that college yeah. generation, everything yeah. else, you got yeah. to. You know, it has everything has to be positive reinforcement. You can't have you no know, negativity. You know, you can't cuss them out like we. Hey, we, listen, we, we it's the same way we raise our kids. You know, you know, back in the day, uh, parents used to take huffing and puffing and talking back. You can't roll your eyes. Oh no, don't breathe heavy. No, no, no. I, I still, I'm still like that. What you talking about? I'm still like that. <laughs> breathe, breathe yes, heavy, and talking back. Yes, I was, I was watching them hands all the time. <laughs> Stop! Yeah. Stop yeah. up them stairs if you want to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Slam that door. Yeah, you don't, no, you don't do none of that. You go up in that room, 
You cl- you gently close that door, and they can say whatever you want to say after that. Yeah. Uh, but nah, them outward shows of upsetting it, right. anger. Nah, we don't get down like Same that. Same thing, make you laugh, make you cry. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we've become everybody. We've become our parents. It's kind of sad. No, it's uh, not. No, it's not. Well, you know, I'm talking about just from an old school age, but yeah. uh, I mean, I think it's a difference. Uh, you know, I talk about the whole timeout generation. Timeout is cool. But sometimes you need to get your butt whipped for a minute to to understand the severity to understand the severity of your crime against the family. Yeah. Now sometimes we can talk about it, and if we talked about it a couple of times and you still haven't gotten it, sometimes I just got to put my hands on you for a minute, and then it's all good. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, CPS, that is Jock Taylor. <laughs> yeah, it's too hey. late now. Hey, hey, my kids is grown. The statute of limitations. Statute of limitations <laughs> is over with for that. Because I'm gonna yeah. tell you, I, I was I was up to about three ass three good ass whoopers a year. Just, just to let you know, hey, do, do you gotta get you gotta whoop that ass to let them know. Hey, do you want a whooping? If they don't know what a whooping is, then you ain't scaring nobody. You know. Uh, Ask my grandson. He look at me. Hey, you know. There you so, go. See you. 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 Now you telling on yourself. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you dry snitching. You snitching on yourself. So stop. Hey it. man, it stop. is. He get. He got raised in the new. In the new age. He didn't get the old one, and the other ones let him know. You lucky. Ah, okay. Yeah. There you go. You know. All you do is get talked to bad sometimes. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't even think I put my hands on him. So he blessed. On that note. Well, oh, that's a good conversation. <laughs> well, we talked about whippings for a long well, time. Well, we do mass punishment over here. You, you mass know, punishment? You don't get him You don't get him straight? Okay. I'm going to get all y'all. It's all good. How about that? Y'all go upstairs and figure out what happened. Come back and tell me what happened. Y'all don't. Everybody, get, everybody gets it. There you Damn. go. Damn. Uh, you know what? I think, uh, I think I did that once or twice, but. Mine was usually they was they were snitching on each other so fast it really wasn't a problem trying to trying to avoid that. And then there's the one time I tell y'all this the one time I was picking up my son he was about five. I pick him up everybody else up against the wall he's sitting at the table coloring. Okay, what's wrong with this picture? So I walk in, ask the teacher I say, hey why he doing why he down there coloring everybody else up against the wall? She said, oh Mr. Taylor. I just love him. He's such a nice young man. Uh, I left the classroom, and when I came back, there was a lot of confusion going on. And I asked what happened, and he told me. I said, "He's a snitch." That's what I was thinking. I said, "Two two, two things. Two two things. Two things here. I could go all day without hearing him use the lady, use that damn lady voice. You don't have to." Talk, use that voice, talk like a lady. And, and, and my boy is a bona fide snitch. I'm, what's up, dog? Yeah. I looked at I said, yeah. Sister, Sister King, are you telling me my son snitched on everybody? Oh, no, Mr. Taylor, it's not that. He just told me that everybody was acting up while, he, while she was gone, while I was gone. Snitch. I said, okay, you don't ever have to worry about that happening again. Thank you. I took him out of the car. I said, dog, you can't be telling on everybody. But daddy, they was acting up, and she told us to sit down, and they just wouldn't behave. I said, hey, man, oh that's not God. for you to tell. So, yeah, my dude used to be a snitch. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm going to have to call him and remind him of that story this morning. Yeah, All that, right, Clancy Hill Jr. That you told everybody. You told everybody. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, hit business out there now. He already know. 
so uh, yeah, we appreciate you, uh, Mr. Hill. We will uh, talk to you safe <laughs> travels in Mobile. All right, man. Thank you, guys. Right, that's uh, Clancy Hill Jr. The E stands for every time he go to Mobile, he got some stories. Some of them he can share. Some of them he can't. Um, he's brought to us each and every Friday by Smokey John's Barbecue, 1820 West Mockingbird. Smokey John's, they got the big game pack. Hey, it's still time to get it, the big game pack. You got to order it by uh, February 8th so that you can enjoy it at the Super Bowl. Just so you know, that's a half a gallon of their signature barbecue queso, tortilla chips, four pounds of wings, mm. two pounds of ribs, and Smokey John's barbecue sauce. All you got to do for the big game pack is call one eight eight seven zero sjbbq it's one hundred and thirty nine ninety five. Mm, mm, Let me be straight with y'all. That's a good deal. Yeah. Real talk. That's a good deal. Four pounds of wings, all that barbecue sauce. I mean, all that queso, half a gallon of the brisket queso. That means it got some meat in it. Um, you know, and two two pounds of ribs. That's some good eating. I'm going to be enjoying it while the game is going on. Uh, trust me on that. It's, that's some quality food right there. Mm-hmm. Smokey John's barbecue and just because you get that don't mean when you order that that you can't say, hey, will you throw a jam session bowl in there for me too? I mean, it really doesn't pre- preclude you from doing that. Jam session bowl. It's a bowl that's got a mac and cheese base or a mashed potato base. Two out of five smoked meats. Your boy likes to rock with the brisket and the sausage. And then all that stuff you put on a loaded baked potato, you know, chives and uh, bacon bits and sour cream and cheese and butter, all that stuff, man. They put all that on there, and then they say, you want to drizzle it? You want to drench it with that sweet Smoky John's barbecue sauce. They put it on there. It's to live for. What is it, Joe? It's love in your mouth. Mm. Taste it, taste it, taste it. Uh, Joe and our many going to get one soon. We're just trying to work out the details when our many is free. And then they, too, will know the joy of Smokey John's Barbecue. It's enough for two, real easy. Easy is enough for two. You got a little shorty, the six or seven. The three of y'all can eat off of it. But uh, the jam session bowl is something else. Uh, if you need uh, some more Smokey John's in your life, you can go to the marketplace, SmokeyJohns.com. You can order the rub or the sauce and have it sent to your home a couple days. If you need it more immediate than that, you can get Smokey John's rub. H-E-B's all over Dallas-Fort Worth, Burleson, Waxahachie, Allen, Frisco. It's everywhere. So pick it up. Smokey John's Barbecue. The food is to live for. It is love in your mouth. I like when I say that, man. Love in your mouth. (laughs) Yuck. Smokey John's is fantastic. Don't forget, order the big game pack. It's fantastic. For $139.95. Four pounds of ribs, I mean, four pounds of wings, two pounds of ribs, a half a gallon of brisket queso is worth the money. Uh, let's talk about your boy. Clarence mentioned him for a minute, man. Let's talk about your boy, Michael Parsons. Uh, he waited 17 days after that debacle at AT&T Stadium to put his comments out there about the game. Said he'd stayed in the house for a minute. Said he was embarrassed. They didn't want to come out in the streets and get that smoke from the people. And I, I get where he's coming from. Uh, I don't know about, I mean, let me rephrase that. I know about Michael Parsons. He's a great player. Uh, he's not yet been a difference maker in the biggest playoff games for whatever reason. Uh, he had a terrific season 
He's been all pro three years in a row. He's uh, he's trending toward a Hall of Fame career. Uh, but, you know, it's all about longevity and production. Um, but, you know, he okay, I'm trying to figure out a way to say it. It seems to me, and I don't know, you can probably help me with this. I don't think he's whining, but I think he's whining. But maybe it's just that he pays too much attention to what people say. And what I mean is, when I was a columnist at the Dallas Morning News, and even when I was a columnist at ESPN, but it was even more intense when I was at the Dallas Morning News because you're in Dallas, you're at the paper of record in Dallas, and so it's a little more intense. But when you write a column, and I used to say this all the time, you know, I got to speak the truth. The truth is I see it based on the conversations I had with various people and based on what I see with my own eyes. And once I come out with my what I believe is the truth, then it, and I've said it many times, it didn't matter to me what my kids thought, what my wife thought, what my friends thought, what my pastor thought, what the Cowboys thought, what my bosses thought. This is what I believe. This is what I'm writing. And, I mean, y'all are all worthy and welcome to your opinions, but they had, your opinions have no effect on me. I can respect them, but they have no effect on me. I don't care one way or the other. Whether you loved the column, whether you hated the column, it's all good. I just wrote the truth as I believed it. And here's why. If you let those people affect how you think, and, oh, I don't want the pastor mad at me, so I'm going to write it like this. Oh, I don't want Jerry mad at me, so I'm going to write it like this. Oh, I don't want Will not to pick up my phone, I'm going to write it like this. You're not really writing what you believe to be the truth. You're writing what you think people are okay with hearing. And then you can't be the best version of yourself. I say all that to say with Michael Parsons, it seems like he's he's got too many. He listens to too much out there. Now maybe that's he's part of today's society. But I I mean you just can't be getting caught up in what Skip Bayless says about you. And you know the fan base wants to win. They uh, now I'm talking to a fan. I'm talking to y'all, too. So I don't know that the fan base cares how the sausage is made. At the end of the day, they want to win. And if you lost the game that you're supposed to win, they're going to be mad and they're going to say things. Uh, what's your take on Micah, Doc? First, I'm going to say Micah is, Micah is just scratching the surface of his ability, believe it or not. Once he get them hands together, he's going to be even better. Um, the stuff with the uh, media and all this outside noise, I think his comments now are more of an explanation of how he felt about the situation, um, less than reacting to what people say. Um, the Skip Bayless stuff, like 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 months ago, our conversation about Michael was I was like, hey man, I wish Michael would just shut up and play, you know, just just not not be so so out in the media. And your point was well. I like Micah talking because that, that, that helps our job. But also you said Micah needs some media training. I think the kind of comments that he made today, whereas I, where I wouldn't have said nothing, he said something, but the way he said it was okay. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was you know, we'll get to the clips, but I thought the way he spoke, it was okay. It was well, I think. I think the good thing about him was, and the reason why he probably needed 17 days to talk, was he was talking, he had, he had removed some of the emotion from it. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Really, that's what you was talking about last time when he was just saying stupid stuff. And 
we was like, what the hell? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he ain't removed the emotion from it, so he can really yeah. give you. Here's what I'm really feeling. Here's what I'm really thinking. There's some growth there. Yeah. Um, so it's all very interesting to me, and um, it's interesting how it's all going to play out. Uh, because he said a lot of interesting things, um, and you know we're about to get into it. But you know, I think uh, winning cures a lot of this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, winning, winning and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, let's go have a drink. Let's kick somebody ass. Well, it cures a lot of things. Uh, well, here's what he said about just the loss to Green Bay and how it made him feel. Sad man that you lose the way you do, especially at home. Talking about how much we played at home, uh, how much it stood for us to be at home and to go out like that at home was completely embarrassing. Um, so yeah, I mean they 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 were top five defense most of the year. Uh, you can say what you want to. They played they, the teams that they played weren't this or they weren't that. Bottom line is they led the league in turnovers. Uh, they played good most of the year. Yes, we all had questions about the run defense throughout the year, but they did enough to win. Uh, Michael Parsons in that game against Green Bay, uh, two tackles, one quarterback hit, uh, no sacks, uh, no tackles for loss. Uh, I didn't notice necessarily. I think he did draw a couple holding calls, so he was around. Uh, But the bigger thing is if you look at the Cowboys – um, they did give up uh, 6 out of 10 on third down, 415 yards, 143 yards rushing, 272 yards passing. Uh, they didn't really control Green Bay's offense much of the day. And uh, they never looked like they were in control of the game. Uh, so it's understandable why he said that. Uh, how much of that you put – what did you think of Michael's performance in that game? It was, it was incomplete. I mean – can't really judge Micah's performance when they give up 40-some points. I mean, it's, it's, it's a total break. If Micah don't play good, it don't mean you don't give up 40 points. If Micah don't play good, you know, it don't mean that people running, you know, 15 yards wide open and, you know, catching them damn passes like they punch in the damn secondary. So, I'm – it's a total – it's just a total breakdown of the defense. Like, you know – so that's what I thought about his performance. I couldn't get mad at him because everybody else was playing awful. <laughs> so what you want to do? You got you got you got whoop. You got Molly Wop. What what is, what is that one guy? You know what I'm saying? How can we? You know yeah. how can you blame it on one person? Um, now, as we talk about the Cowboys, they did give up 143 yards rushing. Aaron Jones had a hundred yard game, uh, 118 yards, averaged 5.6, scored three touchdowns. Uh, been a lot of conversation about, hey, how come Micah now got it? How come we can't use him at linebacker? Cowboys undersized linebacker. They're using safeties at linebacker. How come Micah can't be put at linebacker? What's up with that? Why does he fight it so much? Well, here's what he had to say about that perception. Um, but at the end of the day, we were just outperformed, out-schemed, however you want to put it. Like, they had an answer for everything. And people saying, well, why didn't you go to linebacker? Because, you know, they said you can stop the run. Well, guess what? The packages are in for me to go to linebacker. There's multiple packages, multiple variations. But I can only play what it's called. Whatever they're calling, whoever personnel they're putting on, I'm not putting out personnel. I'm not putting out 
uh, the calls, the nothing's coming from me. So, all right. So, how do you interpret that? Sound to me like he said, "Hey, I ain't talk about linebacker. That ain't got nothing to do with me. That's about Dan Quinn calling the defense. Wherever they need me to play, I'm a play. I ain't never told him I wouldn't play." That's just like saying, "Hey, does Jacques make good potato salad?" I don't know. I don't eat it. <laughs> I ain't eat. I ain't eat that. Hey, he's saying like I said a while ago. Hey, uh, I, I ain't saying nothing, but I ain't the problem. You know, it's it's, it's that equivocation. Uh, uh, I ain't saying nothing, but I'm saying something. Um, I said from the beginning, the beginning of the year, they need to get him off the line on first and second down. How come? Because it's easy It's easy to get your hands on. I mean, if he don't beat his guy on the run game at defensive end, he's, what, 240? Yeah. You know, that number 11 makes him look smaller than he is. He's still a big dude. But right. uh, once it's easier for them linemen to stab and grab you in the running game, you know, with their hands. You got to fight them hands and get a hold of you and push you around at 240. You know when they want to do it, when people are committed to it, you put him. You you, you put Sam Williams, who's about two sixty, ain't that much bigger, but he's just a bigger dude. And you move Michael back on first and second down, you got a chance. Especially after Overshawn got hurt and Layton was out, I thought we'd see him like that. But I thought if you play him at first and second down, it's a it's a lesser player. But if old school people remember AJ Dewey, who used to play play kind of play like that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He he wasn't Micah. No, you went deep in. I mean, you went deep in the archives. That's man. what that's what popped in my mind. You know, Big Seventy Seven. He you know he played first and second down, and he played middle. He played defensive end. He was all over the place. It's been a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, but some guys like that. That's kind of old school. But um, let me tell y'all something. Joe's talking about AJ Dewey, who played for the Miami Dolphins. From 1977 to 1984. Number 77. So when he said, hey, I threw out an old school name for you, he literally means I threw out an old school name for you. 6'4", 247 pounds. Uh, first round pick of the Miami Dolphins. LSU. Yeah. Uh, now that you had just a couple seconds, is there anybody more recent than somebody who's not 50 years old? Khalil Mack. Okay. All right. All right. Khalil Mack made all pro at linebacker and de- at, at, at linebacker and defensive in one year, I think. If I'm, I believe, if I'm, if I believe I'm mistaken, you, yeah. I believe you are correct on that. Yeah, yeah. But I you got to you are correct. But AJ Do is a better example because he Khalil Khalil played outside linebacker and defensive end, which is kind of the same, you know, depending on the scheme. If you're in three four or whatnot, but AJ moved around like Micah. You talking about you know, he moved around within the series or yeah, a drive or yeah, whatever? Yeah. What's the what's what's my man's name? Is it Cornelius Bennett for Buffalo? Same, yeah. Same thing, but he wasn't a big sack guy. AJ did everything, and uh, I know that's dated as hell. But that's the first player that popped in my mind that was so versatile and was winning. There was some winning football right there. Right, right. You know, but uh, yeah, Khalil Mack is probably like that. I think Michael's more like Khalil Mack, the way the Cowboys use him, whether he's, you know, linebacker. You know, right now they got him straight in, and I just I didn't like that. And then another thing is, like, we was watching the tape from Brian Baldinger 
where you fire Michael through the A gap, the other dudes run through the other gap because there's a uh, number 14 standing there. Right. You know, a, a damn safety there. So it's, you put him on the left, they're going to run to the right. You put him on the right. It's kind of like we talked about LT where he had to have some dogs with him because you had Carl Banks on the other side of, of Lawrence Taylor, you right. know. So you couldn't just say, we're going to run to the other side. You know, you put other pieces, which is what the Cowboys was doing, and it's the same old broken record that everybody's talking about, and now Micah's talking about the damn linebacker core. So that's the whole thing, you know. So that's that's, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, they clearly they got to shore that up in in the uh, in the draft. <clears throat> I don't think we'll get much from them in free agency, even though Jerry says they're going all in. We we shall see. So y'all but, don't uh, y'all don't like Sam? Y'all don't like Sam Williams? What do you think, my son? I, we talked about it the other day. It seemed like y'all was kind of iffy on him. I thought I think he's a pretty good athlete. Sam Williams is a very talented player who makes a lot of mistakes. Um, you think he makes mistakes in? Uh, and uh, maybe I didn't notice. I know in the special teams he did some stuff, but did he? Now, he he's a mistake-prone guy. Such uh, as going the wrong way or penalties or what you saying? Yeah, penalties. And uh, I would say this. If you go back and look at him over the course of a year, he's always involved in some foolishness. And I don't mean that necessarily like it's intentional foolishness. But some people uh, – Define foolishness. You talking about punching somebody or no, pushing or shoving? No, I'm talking about whenever. I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about more about playing. I'm not. You know, sometimes there's some penalties. Uh, he is, seems to make inopportune mistakes. Is he blowing there. assignments or is he jumping? Yeah, off there's side? some. No, nah, there's some of that too. So it's a little that's, bit of everything. That's coachable. That's coachable. What's not coachable is the stupid stuff that Randy Randy Gregory used to do. You know. Grabbing the guard, you know, holding the guard when the guard's trying to pull, and it's obvious that you're doing that. What you doing, man? Just right. stupid stuff, you know, jumping uh, off sides. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I think as long as long as Sam stays ass out of trouble. Well, you know, plus you know he got some off the field issues yeah, too, and yeah. so what happens is, and any coach will tell you this, really. I mean, really, and it doesn't matter. Really, it don't even matter if we talk about high school, college, or pro. If I can't trust you to stay out of trouble off the field, it's hard for me to trust you to stay to stay on the field. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because you never know, you know, when that blinking, when that bat phone gonna ring at night. Uh, it's some, about, some, it's some, about you. Some talent trumps that, i.e., Dez Bryant, Pac-Man Jones. You know uh, what I'm saying? Some, some talent trumps that. Then yeah. the question would be: Does Sam Williams have that talent? Yeah, there you go. And I don't know because, like you, you thought. You would think maybe Kelvin Joseph's talent trumped that. Oh, That's why no, they drafted. No. But but Kelvin Joseph never never displayed that kind of talent. Yeah, he was in trouble at LSU. Then he went to Kentucky. And then yeah, so I'm right. Yeah, and then he got in trouble here. So no, yeah, I think um, uh, and you know Archer raised a good point the other day. But you know I think if you gave Sam Williams all the Doris Armstrong snaps. Sam Williams could probably get you seven to eight snaps, and he might be the guy. Seven to eight sacks, yeah. Sacks. He yeah. might be a really good player. You just have to, you know, can can you do all the other stuff to stay on the field and all the stuff that comes with being a starter that we trust? Because the, the organization right now doesn't trust them fully. Yeah, you know, maybe, well, you got some guys that get in trouble, and they get out of trouble, and you don't ever hear about it again. Jordan Lewis was like that. Remember, he had some kind of court deal he had to take care of before he got to the Cowboys, and I thought, oh, wait, yeah. here we go. 
Oh uh, yeah, but he and yeah. We that never was we never heard anything else of that. He you know he a professional. No, he got exonerated from that. That yeah. was uh, that was some bad girlfriend drama. It was still there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, it was there. But we all know there are things that happen in your life that really you, you were there, but you're not really in control of it. Somebody else is in control of it, and you have to you have to clean it up if that makes sense. Does that make sense or no? It does, but if you basically somebody can say something and you have yeah. to defend yourself, and it, I mean, that, like that just go back to you know she was crazy when you met her, but all right. Well, I mean, that's not a bad way to say it. Yeah, <laughs> you crazy yeah. too. If you fooling with her, you crazy too. But all right then. Yeah, all right then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you look at Micah's uh, overall performance as we wrap up Micah Parsons. Uh, here's his overall thoughts about the loss to the Packers. I'm at complete peace, you know, yeah, and and I say that because I don't think I could have done anything more to try to uh, win that game, and, and that comes to watching film with the other guys in the room, saying what I'm seeing, being vocal out there on the field. Um, I was completely at peace because I know I don't have no regrets about how I performed or what I put into the game. And, uh, you know, and I appreciate what really matters. See, see, what I tell you, I really get whooped 48 like they got whooped. I really get whooped like that than get beat by a single point because I could have played better. I could have done something. I think he looking around going, Y'all know we got our ass kicked, right? I'm okay with that. Ain't wasn't nothing I could do about that. I could have played oh, hard. It's so thorough. Yeah. There's nothing else I could have done. That's what I think. I could have played hard as I want. I mean, I did play hard as I wanted to. Hell, I was out there being vocal. I was cussing people out, trying to get them right. You know, encouragement, cussing them out, whatever it took to try to get guys together. And nobody was hearing me because we was out cold. This, this whole thing is... Yeah, it's all it, it all makes sense. I mean, to me, well, if I read into what he's saying, is he's saying, "Hey, man, we got our ass drove out there." <laughs> and what else? What? 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 I'm, I'm in the film, and we all looking at the film, and we see what happened. I'm 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 not yeah, mad. I'm not mad because we couldn't have done nothing. No, there's nothing else for us to do. Just yeah. take his ass whooping and keep it moving. Yeah, that's it. That's what I think. That's good stuff, though. All right. Well, you know. Uh, people have a lot of interesting takes on this in terms of a, a guy like Micah, a superstar in whatever sport it is, football, basketball, baseball, having their own platform to put their thoughts out as opposed to answering questions from the media. It's the new, it's that new stuff. It's the, it's yeah. the, uh, it's the Draymond Green. I don't give a damn what you say, Draymond. Shut up. Now, when he analyzed the game, I'm good. But when he trying to explain why he punched somebody or did something stupid, man, go, go away. <laughs> We don't, you know, you ain't selling nothing. You ain't selling that crap to me. But I think Micah, this thing with Micah is, I think he's sincere. And like well, you say, he took 17 days. I think I'm, I'm good with that. A lot of stupid stuff he done said, all the immature stuff he done said. I thought, man. And, and this is the first time I heard these quotes. I like that stuff. Though. It's pretty well, good. I just, think, uh, I just think when they had these platforms, if they do them consistent, consistently like Micah has, I just think they become a window into who they are. And so I think it, it provides you a lot of insight 
into who they are. And say, like, even if you talk about Draymond Green, you know, providing excuses or for his behavior, this, that, and the other thing, even that provides you some insight into who he is and how he thinks. Well, and the he, thing about yeah. it is, yeah. when they talk about stuff, guess what they can't be? Misquoted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of like Charles Barkley. Misconstrued. I'm mis- yeah, I was misquoted got- in my autobiography. Right. Like, you the put hell? it all out there. Your quotes, your words, your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's okay. And so we take them, and then we go interpret them. But they're out there. So it's all kind of interesting. Uh, but that's Michael Parsons. 17 days after the debacle at AT&T Stadium, he gives you some thoughts on what he's thinking. Uh, now, man, let's uh, take a quick trip around the block. Uh, many of y'all know, but some of you don't, that I teach a class at SMU. I think this is year 11 or 12 I've been doing it. Uh, my dad's a college professor. My mom taught high schools for a while. Then my mom taught teachers how to teach reading, if y'all figure that out. She taught reading teachers how to teach reading uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, so I come from an educational background. My sister is a college professor at Princeton. So, I got a call about, uh, you know what happened? I was uh, covering a press conference with Larry Brown when he got to SMU. And I was going to lunch with some of the guys from the morning news at a barbecue place near SMU. And we were walking to it. And I turned the corner and I ran into... A woman named Karen Thomas, who used to work at the Morning News, and now she was a teacher at SMU. And she said, oh, my goodness. I'm not using my girl, my woman voice right now. Thank you. Thank you. She said, oh, my goodness. It must be God to put you right here. I started laughing. I said, why? She said, I was just talking to the dean today, and he said if I knew anybody who could teach a sports journalism class. And uh, she said, you came to mind, and here I am running into you. I said, all right, give me his number. I'll give him a call. So I remember the next day sitting in the parking lot at 24-Hour Fitness saying just what I told y'all. Hey, my dad's a college professor. My uh, mom uh, was a teacher. I have a, uh, I've mentored a lot of people in the business uh, who've become quite successful. And so, yeah, I'm kind of interested in teaching a class if that opportunity is available. And before and after my workout, I checked my phone I got a message. Give me a call, and uh, let's see if we can make it happen. And so I talked to him for about five minutes. He says, the job is yours if you want it. So I've been teaching ever since. And uh, my semester just started the other day. I mean, a couple weeks ago. Yesterday was uh, class number three. I missed class number one. It was a wild story, but I missed it. And uh, this is a really good group of students I have this year, man. Um... And when you're like, well, what does that mean? I used to not understand what that meant when, like, I was in high school and my teachers would say, oh, I love my third period and my fifth period. I can't stand that first period. And the rest of them are kind of meh. But uh, I sent them a note last week that said, you guys had really good energy. Keep it up. And uh, that's what makes a good class when you have the vast majority of your students in there are really trying to get what you're telling them. And you can see the uh, effort that they're putting forth to try to understand what you're talking about. And uh, they're participating and they're not on 
Twitter when they got the computer screens up or IG or whatever. And so uh, uh, it, was a, it was a really good class last night because uh, they were trying to figure out, I was trying to teach them how to find a turning point in a game so that you could write about it. And uh, they, did a, they did a little bit of group work. And then I said, okay. And I felt they did the group work okay. And I said, okay, how y'all feel about uh, finding the turning point and, and all the other stuff we're talking about? Man, I said, raise your hand if you feel like you're good about it. Not a single hand shot up, dog. And I was like, y'all really don't get it? And then no blank faces. I was like, all right, well, let's move on to phase two and dig a little deeper. And this time I had them do it individually. Uh, and uh, as half the group had to find the turning point or when they thought the game was won in Detroit, San Francisco, another half had to do it for the Chiefs and the Ravens. And uh, when we finished this exercise, they all did pretty well. And I said, so all y'all needed was one more to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, the hands shot up. They started nodding. And I said, okay, well, we had a good spot. Let's go home. And that right there, man, is the rewarding feeling you get when you're teaching somebody where you see them kind of grinding through it, trying to figure it out. And then they kind of have an aha moment where they get it. And, um, you know, and then a few of them, that's what I enjoy about teaching that. And uh, I had a few of them had some really good questions last night. Uh, We were talking about sources and one of them said, well, how do you know when you can trust a source? And I was like, you know what? That's a great question. And I said, you know, you build trust over time like any relationship with anybody. So uh, we had a lot of good journalism conversations last night. And so it just reminded me uh, what I enjoy about teaching. Uh, Then I thought about you and all the people you've taught how to shoot at various stages of your life, whether you were in the service or whether you were out of the service. Uh, Is that something that you enjoy doing? Yeah, I, I I don't teach shooting professionally because that way I don't have to I don't have to teach anybody I don't want to <laughs> once you get, once you start getting paid you go you get the yahoos and the knuckleheads and all that so I just teach uh family members and friends and stuff like that I'll get a group of four and I encourage everybody to uh to uh be encouraging you know to to uh, encourage the other person don't 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 talk a lot of noise I usually get the noise talk to me because when I first get in there, um, a lot of times, uh, usually I teach a group of ladies from the family. Right. And uh, the, when I first get in there, they all, you know, the sound gets them all scared and stuff. And, I, you know, we, we kind of support each other. And by the end of the class, they shooting everything. We start out small and they, they, you know, we start out with maybe a 380, 22, go to nine. And we shoot a 45 if they want to. By the end of the class, a couple of times I've had them talking noise to me. Like one time I had a class where I said, all right, I got like nine, seven rounds of 45 left. Who wants to shoot it? And every last one of them go, how come you don't shoot? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? How come you don't shoot? You, you've you been teaching us the whole time. Can you shoot? And it's like, you know what? Y'all went from scared to cocky. <laughs> all right, then put that target up there. So I finished shooting. And I put uh, six of those rounds in about the size of a doggone fist. I ain't talking hmm. about no quarter. I'm just saying a fist. Right, right, right. And uh, they said, well, well, that's six holes. Where's the seventh round? I said, I shot the little man. 
And the little man is uh, the little silhouette at the top of the target. If you ever been to the range. Right. And they said, really? And then I pulled the target up. There was a hole in the little man. They said, wow. I said, well, the forty-five is such a big, long pistol that it's actually pretty accurate to shoot itself if you know what you're doing. But my point was, I got to know what I'm doing or y'all going to talk about my ass in the car. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Oh, you're going to be on the way home talking about his ass can't shoot and he up there teaching. So, nah, I practice what I preach. But uh, one of the most interesting things that you said was uh, what I didn't think about and I never had to deal with in the service was social media and cell phones and stuff like that. And they got their computers, you know, and that's something that our teachers didn't have to deal with. That's got to be nuts when you do you have control over that in the classroom can you tell hey man get off of instagram can you yeah can you do uh, that the way i do it is uh and i tell them all at the start that uh i teach the class the way i wish my professors my teachers had taught classes when i was in school and so what i have is a, a very participatory class i tell them all that from day one like there's not a class you can hang out and not participate uh, I understand some of y'all are shy. You're going to have to get over it. Uh, and so what I mean is, like, I got 11 kids in my class this year. And so if I say, uh, hey, what was the turning point of the, of the uh, Detroit-San Francisco game? I literally go around the table. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joe, what you think? Hey, Mary, what you think? Hey, Tori, what you think? Hey, Ainsley, what you think? Hey, Liza, what you I mean, I literally go around the table. So there's no hiding and if you don't know, guess what gets exposed? The you, fact that you don't know. You, yeah, yeah. And so that means you have to really try to get it. because, And it's, it's not like a shame if you don't know. Because as I tell them, why are you in the class if you knew everything? And so if you don't know, here's how to help you identify it. Here's what you do. Here's what you look at. But uh, if I'm coming around the table and we're talking, that forces you. To be engaged. To pay attention, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hold um, it, hold it. That's a good strategy right there. And because, and you know, I asked them, you know, coaching, teaching, same thing. What, do, what does every coach say when you ask them? If you get the players to know that you care about them, then what? They'll go through the wall for you and play as hard for you as they can. And so I have a um, device that I use at the, at the first class meeting. Where I say, hey, Joe, uh, tell us where you're from, because SMU and people are from all over the country and all over the world. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? And tell us two interesting things about yourself. And I start with me. But I say, tell two interesting things about yourself. And, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to do it. Uh, no, nah, just tell us two interesting. But I really go down a rabbit hole when you say, you know, what's interesting about you. And so what that does to me is that allows you to connect with the student. And so I tell them my goal is to learn your name before the end of the first class. And part of that is I hear your story, your two interesting facts. I ask you a few questions about it because it's interesting. I told you, give me two interesting things about you. Well, that makes you you a better, not only is it better in the classroom as a student, it makes you a better people person. Because yeah. even though I've been in, on, in the army and I've been on a job where your uniform is, your uniform has your name on it. I know that the supply sergeant, his son plays soccer, and his daughter yeah. does karate, 
you know, and he likes the Cincinnati Bengals. So guess what? When I go talk to the supply sergeant, when can't nobody else get nothing, you're going to hook me up. Yeah. We're going to talk about soccer and karate and the Bengals. Yes. He's going to be like, what else do you need, bro? All right, I got this right here, da-da-da-da-da, yeah. what's going on? When he come to me, I'm good. You know, the same, same thing. But you got to know a person before you look at their name tags. That's that's. Yeah, you and know. you know when you know a person uh, and they feel like you know about them and they feel like oh, you care about yeah. them yeah. as a person, yeah. then they'll try. Uh, and I don't think that's you know some great thing, but it's just my technique I use to try because at SMU the semesters are like what four months, but I don't, my class is only once a week, and so I don't have a lot of time to bond. So I need to bond quickly so I can get the best out of them. And I found out that uh, really trying to get to know them through those two interesting facts allows, you know, you to get a bond with them and, uh, you know, uh, try to get the best out of them. Uh, but I, I like to teach in prospect. Like I was uh, I was thinking about it the other day uh, because somebody was teaching their kid how to drive and we were talking about it. They're like, oh, I hate it. I'm so, so nervous. And I was like, I taught both my, my kid, my son and my granddaughter how to drive. And uh, I really enjoyed the process because I felt like they were good drivers when I let them out on the streets. Like, I wasn't nervous because I was like, okay, they've passed my personal test, and so I feel good about them driving. Did you teach your, your fellas, your, your kids how to drive? No, 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 no. My wife, my wife, man, she got the patience of Joe because she's still married to me. But uh, she... Uh, she taught them. She taught all of them to drive on their own time. You know, different people didn't want to drive, and other people did. But she taught them all. I just made them better. Like she right. taught them around the city. Like my youngest son used to used to uh, press that brake like he was kicking a football, and I can only <laughs> take that for <laughs> I can only take that a couple of times. And I know I took my daughter to, to drive at the school, right? And uh, I remember her going around the curb. And we was all laughing because we didn't want to, but she went around the curb and the, the the wheels, she rubbed the damn white off the white walls of the reels. She was the, rubbed like that. I said, I, I don't think he's supposed to do it like that. <laughs> but uh, my wife uh, my wife taught them all, and then I took them on the highway. Yeah, we uh, drive well. we drive from here to Stephenville, which is about maybe two hours, an hour, it's an hour and a half, hey, a, and uh, we get on the highway and, Get some barbecue and drive back. Yeah. Pretty I, soon, uh, I had my daughter driving. If I had a new route like DeSoto and all that, I had six stops in DeSoto. We'd drive around there, so I know what the route is and all of that stuff. And so yeah, I taught them how to get better, but she taught them. I ain't like that. Uh, I taught them how to drive in the subdivision, meaning you couldn't lead you when we got in the car. We started driving. It was let's just drive around the subdivision, and you couldn't lead the subdivision until you had mastered how to make a tight turn because, you know, subdivision ain't nothing but a, a series of blocks with stop signs. So mm -hmm. you got to stop and pull your car to the front of the stop sign, let it rock once, then make that slow turn. Yeah. And, you know, how to go up a hill. I mean, it was, yeah, but it was a really good sub. The one you lived in, I was going to say it had hills and everything. No, it was great for, yeah. for teaching you how yeah. to drive. And yeah. I remember my son, he probably stayed in the subdivision for about a, uh, probably about a month. Before then, we could get out to the streets. And then I remember he was on the streets. He was doing pretty good. And uh, we had to go to a long view for something. And I was like, 
we were driving. I pulled over after about 15 minutes. I said, you know what, man? Longview is really just a straight shot down the highway. You drive because you don't have to do a lot of thinking. It's just good to get on this highway and uh, feel the highway. And so uh, he drove pretty good. And he probably had it all ready to go by himself after about three or four months. And uh, he's been a pretty good driver since then. And my granddaughter, she, she took about twice as long in the subdivision. But once she got out the subdivision, she was a, she was she was ready to go then. So, uh, but again, it was a uh, it was a process, and because I could understand the process, I actually had a lot of patience with it, and I just understood you can't leave the subdivision till you master these things. And as long as it take you to master them, it's as long as it take you to master them. Because I don't want to be out here worried in the streets because you a sorry driver. Yeah, yeah, I taught them kids Smith system. No, which is uh, always aim high and steering, keep your eyes moving, leave yourself out, um, make sure they see you. And those, uh, those uh, the Army teaches that, and then we learn that again at my job. So That's a, Now, the part I, didn't, I never focused on was leave yourself or not. That's a pretty good thing to, uh, to teach. I used to teach them always... I said it's a constant look, looking straight ahead and always knowing who's beside you and who's behind you. Yeah. Because yeah. if you know who's beside you and behind you, when they disappear in your blind spot, you know, okay, where did red car go? Well, we used to call so that you riding. Know if I, when, I, when I rode a motorcycle, we used to call that riding in the pocket, staying in the pocket, keeping, you know, keeping, you know, you know what I'm saying, keeping distance around you and other cars. That's like, that's called yeah. staying in the pocket. Yeah. So um, and then so yeah, when you know that, I feel good. Like nothing can surprise you because you always know there's a couple cars around here. Where are they? If you don't see them, oh yeah, so, you're on a bike, you're gonna know that. You never saw my bike, did you? Now we're gonna talk about that next week. That's a good topic because I wanted a motor- motorcycle so bad, I was just scared I was gonna die on one. Oh yeah, I got good. Uh, I got a good motorcycle story. No, I, I sure. want I've been wanting a motorcycle forever. Uh, and then I wanted a spider, but I thought it was, I just couldn't see myself on a three wheel motorcycle, even though it was cool. And I, got, I just didn't I got, feel right. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, I got you. you include the spider too. Yeah, we, yeah. So we're going to talk about motorcycles next week. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, so that's our trip around the block this week. Uh, why I love teaching. Uh, Joe's got some teaching stories. That was, that was cool. Uh, remember, you can always pick up my book. I showed it to my students yesterday so they knew I wasn't capping. I did write a book. Uh, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders of the Making a Men on uh, YouTube. I mean, no, you can't find it on YouTube, but you can find it on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com, Target.com, wherever you find books at, you can find it. All you got to type in literally is Coach Prime book. It pops up easy to find. Remember, you want these tickets to the Mavericks. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Jacques Top. Leave a comment, leave a review. And uh, that'll get you registered for the tickets. We'll do the drawing on uh, Valentine's Day. Follow us on IG at The Real Jacques Talk. And you can find me on Twitter, JJT Journalist. I am Jean-Jacques Taylor. Uh, for Big Joe and the Big Rig, we appreciate you. Until we chat again, you guys be blessed. And don't forget, none of this is possible without our friends at Grinning Law, who sponsor this show, and Smokey John's Barbecue, 1820 West Mockingbird.